welcome back to another episode of Let Me Tell You, the 151st episode. Today, we have an amazing guest. We have JJ Post, the best college insider for women's soccer here on the podcast. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on here, you know, just kind of ramping up, waiting for the season to start. You know, it's an exciting time, obviously, three days away at the time of this recording. So just getting a lot of stuff in order. It's good to be here. Fantastic. All right, so give us a 30-second elevator pitch about yourself. So I am JJ Post, like he introduced me. I currently am a junior at the University of Notre Dame. I've covered women's soccer since 2019 when I was a senior in high school. I kind of got into it after the 2019 National Championship game. It was really exciting. It was my first time watching the game, and I kind of got hooked immediately. And then I went next year to uh, the University of Wisconsin for a year, in which you know I had the pleasure of being able to, through long and short, it took some bus rides, it took some being stranded at a bus station at 2 in the morning, covered the women's soccer team through a COVID year. That was something that really got me kind of hooked on the passion of the game. Came to the University of Notre Dame. Now I'm doing that same thing there. I have been stranded at bus stops now in South Bend, Indiana, as well as Rockford, Illinois. It's been a long journey. It's been a weird journey just because, you know, I'm kind of usually the only ones covering these games. But it's a fun niche to have. and I'm happy I'm here. Is your your weirdest story covering the teams in COVID getting stranded at bus stops? What's your best story? What's your weirdest story? I guess I'll go to the bus stop one uh, just because, you know, this this. So for those unaware, the 2020 season for women's soccer in the Big Ten was canceled in the fall. But then they decided to put it back on in the spring, meaning it was late February and they announced their schedule. But they for Wisconsin, where I was at at the time. They decided that they couldn't play games because of code restrictions in Wisconsin. So they moved to an indoor arena in Illinois, which was just across the border in Rockford. Being the enterprising young journalist I am, decided to hop on a bus and, uh, you know, from Madison, go into Rockford, cover the game. Keep in mind, I had no press pass time. I was just, like, going to show up at this, like, you know, indoor arena and just be like, hey, can I cover the game? That plan sort of worked. Like, I had to talk to, you know, I had to talk to the security guard. He directed me to the SID, and I had to, like, explain, like, hey, so I know I didn't email you at all, but, like, I promise you I'm a real journalist. What other kid would have drove two hours on his own dime to watch this game if not to report on it? And that that was an accepted argument. So I go to the game. I watch it, and, like, you know, it's a good game. Wisconsin wins one nothing, all that. I get out, and I, I discover that since the bus station was 20 minutes away, I Ubered to the, you know, game in the first place. I discovered there's no Ubers back to the bus station available. So it's like 8 o'clock, and I'm just sitting at this indoor arena. You know, eventually it closes up, so I go outside. It's like 20 degrees because it's February in Northern Illinois. I'm just sitting outside like, okay, I get an Uber eventually. It takes me an hour and a half. I get an Uber back to the bus station and find out the next bus back to Madison doesn't leave until 1.30 a.m. And I'm just at this industrial bus station in Rockford. I go out to meet it, and I see there's a car with the lights off, but someone's just in the car, like in the front row seat. And I'm just like standing around here, like the bus comes, the guy shows up. He's like, I drove this route for four months and you are the only person I've ever picked up here at this time. I'm like, man, just drive the bus back to Madison. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess no one will ever question your dedication to the sport ever again. There's one thing you can't, I, I, I don't know if I would say my journalism is the highest quality. I don't know if I'd ever say my knowledge is the highest quality, but the dedication is something I can, I can uh, pride myself on. It's something I can, that's something that I can always control. And I'm always going to give it the max effort. You are working on a, I don't know if the word is a guidebook, but it's 35,000 words on the 65 power five women's soccer teams in women's soccer programs. Just tell me about that project. Why is it so many words? So basically it's, it's more of like, I'll be honest here. I don't think I have an audience for this stuff, but what it is, is it's basically my own media guide because I broadcast these games. And instead of having to scramble to produce notes on these teams, like every, you know, week, I like to have kind of like a, you know, it's a bit, 
is not comprehensive, but I like to have a bare bones structure on every single team heading in because you never know who they're going to play. If they play, you know, if they have to play Michigan, I want to have some notes on Michigan ready. If they have to play Indiana, I like to have notes on Indiana ready. So basically, you know, it's like, it's basically my own personal media guide, but I like to just have kind of the team's, you know, top five players, you know, one player that, you know, might keep an eye on, you know, whenever possible, I like to talk to coaches, talk to players, talk to, you know, beat reporters, just kind of get an idea of what the feeling is heading into the program. Just so, you know, cause obviously during the school year, you know, it's, it's a difficult course load, you know, obviously having to, you know, balance academics and also, you know, trying to prepare for these games. So I like to have something like a, you know, a template almost for each team ready to go in the event that we play them just so I, you know, I know what I'm talking about. I think it is, if you're looking for one team and you're looking for specifics, that's where it probably excels at. You know, I don't, I'm not going to claim to be like the all knowing SAR of everything that goes on in women's soccer. Well, as a, as a guy who broadcasts for the student radio club and has done soccer, I, I do appreciate that. And we will, my radio club, KUGR, will definitely be tapping into that guide for all of our upcoming soccer games. Let's talk about this. Obviously, Washington State, Pac-12 school. How does the Big Ten expansion impact women's soccer? Much like college football last year, I think you have a lot of kind of unknowns and like the where, you know, there's a lot of like, okay, so now we have two teams that we know aren't in the conference come down time they're gonna have to play the games now and i think it's gonna be interesting to see if that leads to any heightened you know kind of intensity in these games like you know last year in the big 12 you know whenever texas and oklahoma played you could see these teams are coming out even more than just when you normally play texas or oklahoma they were coming out to beat them they had something to prove you know they, there was kind of like that oh you're not good enough for us we'll show you who's good kind of mentality to it i'm interested to see if that kind of translates the pac-12 you know the same way it did in the big 12 in football you know obviously other sports as well but football i think was the most noticeable kind of embodiment of that you know kind of spirit i also think from a travel standpoint it's very interesting to see where we go from here because you know it, it doesn't need to be said you know the commitment for these schools to get athletes across the country midweek you know in the middle of an academic you know calendar it's it's very intense and you know i think if you want to if you're really going to lean into the, the definition of student athlete it's going to put a big strain on these you know students because you know you're going to tell some girl from ucla that she's gonna have to fly across the country to maryland and be back in her class by 9 a.m on thursday it's a big commitment. I think it's going to be, you know, I, I would, I'm hoping that the universities are fully committed to making sure that travel experience isn't as, you know, hectic, isn't as brutal as it's going to look like it is right now. But until we really see it, I think it's going to be interesting to see what this move means for, I think, kind of some of these non-revenue sports. Like, I think we all know football will figure it out. Basketball will figure it out because these are the sports that, you know, the university those prioritize. I don't mind expanding because I think, you know, that's just where this, you know, NCA is headed. You know, I, I think I'm a realist, you know, at some point, you know, I think it was kind of inevitable that football would drive this into a couple national conferences, but I don't think it's, you know, really acceptable. They're going to make all these other non-revenue sports suffer for the sake of football. Name, image, and likeness, big topic. I, I'm a I'm big proponent of it. So Ryland Turner from UCLA, this offseason was the first student athlete to sign an NIL deal with Nike. So what do you think the future market is for college women's soccer players? And then if you had to name a player, who do you think might sign the next deal? And is it, would it be, do you think it's going to be like with a big brand like Nike or is it rather the local coffee shop in town? Well, one of the things I love about NIL is there's opportunities for anyone, whether it be the Nike athletes or the, you know, the local coffee shop. town. I think one of the things I love is that it gets, you know, you don't need to be a Nike athlete to get an NIL deal. I don't know if you saw today the, the coldest Crawford air conditioning ad release. And it's just as good as one would imagine it would be. That's why I love NIL because it, you know, it's, it's an equal opportunity. Obviously the money will not be equal, but you don't need to be a star player to get one of these deals. But in terms of next athletes, I don't think there's any one in particular. I think you could highlight. I don't know if you saw this Emily Mason, uh, who plays defend, who's a defender for Rutgers signed a deal with Adidas. 
which you know very you know very impressive. She's a, you know one of the better young defenders in the country. She's you know with currently with the United States U20 team. So I think it's very nice to see first and foremost that these big companies are willing to invest in women's sports and women's soccer. You know just to kind of you know for from a marketing standpoint, I think it's good that you know they're they're you know being honest that you know you have thousands of young girls out there who you know you know we can reach out to them we can you know show them you know you want to be the next Ryland Turner you want to be the next Emily Mason here we're willing to put them in front of you and you know commit money to these athletes which is good I think uh, in terms of like what I would see more of I think you're probably more likely to see these local deals I've seen some you know some deals with things sites like Cameo and whatnot where you know athletes are they can just now compensate for giving messages to fans I think you'll see a lot of that stuff like that where you know kind of just getting involved with the campus you know Obviously, if you have a, you know, a nice little restaurant on campus, you know, it's probably not going to be the biggest national advertisement if you get an athlete, you know, promoting that. But I think it's a good deal for both sides if, you know, you get a little local advertisement from, a, you know, a soccer player, or a track athlete, and, you know, the soccer and track athlete gets a little compensation for their time. So I think that's kind of a win-win, and I think that's probably what you'll see the most of in the coming months. All right, fantastic. We're both in agreement here. Great minds think alike. Who is the favorite? Because I've seen a lot of different ones. And then who do you think will win? And there is one correct answer. Yeah, so I'd say in terms of the favorites, you I, I would kind of put it into a tier list if that if that is an acceptable hedge on uh, how I would rank this. I think you kind of have in the top two the two kind of obvious you know contenders, which are the two LA schools, because last year those were the two teams that kind of and historically, with the exception of Stanford, who kind of comes in and out, those are the two heavy hitters, you know, because you know I think everyone knows the USC and UCLA brands in women's soccer, you know, going back to you know the '90s, those are the two teams that you know kind of. You know, it's very easy to sell the history of USC and UCLA, and obviously it's a very nice rivalry. And I think this year, once again, you know, it's going to be a fun rivalry because, you know, first and foremost, both the teams have new coaches. And USC's new coach, I don't know if you saw, is a former UCLA assistant. They hired her from UCLA. So it's going to be interesting to see what both these teams do because, you know, these are teams that, you know, kind of are in a new era. You know, I don't think anyone's doubting that UCLA and USC will be good. But to what extent they'll be good under a new coach, to how they play under a new coach, these are questions I don't think we can really get answered until we see them play because, you know, no one has seen USC play a game under, you know, Jane Alucanis. Like these are, you know, kind of questions that I don't think we'll have definitive answers to until they play games. But I think if you had to pick the two teams that I'd say are the consensus favorites, it'd be those two because those are the two last year. In terms of like other teams, I think could get involved. I think it's, you know, it would be negligent not to mention Stanford because Stanford, another program that historically has been always involved in the women's soccer in the Pac-12 race, you know, just two years ago, I think we forget just because last year they kind of missed the tournament in, you know, 2020, they weren't huge contenders either. You know, Stanford won a national title three seasons ago and like they are not far removed in terms of the talent on that roster. You know, there are players who won a national title with Stanford who are still on that roster. So I think it's a team you can't like, even if, you know, it feels weird to say we're going to put them in that, you know, that title contender, you know, echelon because they didn't even make the NCAA tournament last year. It feels a little weird to say it, but it also feels impossible not to mention them just because of the brand they have, just because like the, you know, the history they have, you know, you don't want to just count on Stanford. Stanford's always a team that'll get involved. Washington State, I'm sure you'll be happy to know, you know, to peer as another team that, you know, you got to, you know, count them in because they're a team that I think kind of under the radar has put together a very solid roster, a very competitive roster. You know, they, they have talent. It's not like there's some scrappy underdogs who are punching up. You know, this is a talented Washington state team. I think they can go blow for blow with some of these heavy hitters. You know, you look at the players in this roster, you know, Sydney uh, Struder comes to mind as a player who could really be a breakout star this year, transfer in conference. They got producing Elise Bennett, you know, another player, you know, I, she, they lost her, I believe because she was a fifth year. If I'm not mistaken, I need to check that. But, But to my point that, on the broader level, Washington State's not a program that you can be like, oh, scrappy little Washington State punching up. No, this is a team that, like you just said, has NWSL talent on their roster. And it's a team that I expect this year, I don't know 
I don't know if they're going to be, you know, first place, second place, third place, fourth place. I think you can make a reasonable argument for them finishing anywhere in that. But I think it would be unfair to act like they're like some like second tier competitor here. They are very much in the mix for this title race. Final four with Morgan Weaver next year. Produced Trinity Robinson, second overall pick. Didn't make the tournament because COVID, you know, that's a toss out year for most programs. And then this year, we last year, last year, we bowed out in the second round. So we're a quality program. But my question for you is the Cougars played possibly their biggest, their biggest opponent of the year, number nine in Ann Arbor against the Wolverines. What do Coug fans need to know about the Wolverines right off the bat? Michigan's one of my favorite teams, not in terms of like, you know, in terms of how good I think they'll be in terms of, you know, I like Michigan. I'm, if you follow my Twitter, you know, I'm no fan of Michigan, but they're one of my favorite teams to watch just because they have such an interesting, you know, level of talent. They, they have in Jade Riviere, a full Canadian national team. She won a gold medal for Canada. She played on that Canadian gold medal women's soccer team. And I think that's like, just kind of absurd to me that you can have in college soccer, you know, players that just won an Olympic gold medal last year and played 80 minutes for that team. And I think, you know, I have, once again, like I said, how many other programs can say they have a gold medalist on their roster? Not many, but I think they go deeper than Jade Riviere too, because, you know, she's obviously fantastic, but they also kind of use her in defense, meaning she's not really, she's not a game breaker for them. She's a very, very good defender, obviously. And, you know, the defense wins championships, but it also doesn't mean like she's the entire team. They're not putting her at forward and just letting her run the show. But she, you know, she is a weapon that, you know, you're going to need to, you know, keep track of because she, of course, is that good. But I think, you know, what I really like is they, their scoring and their offense, it's deep. They're not a team that relies on one player to get them the goals. They're not a team that relies on, you know, kind of one plan of action. If that doesn't work, then, oh, done. We have no other plans. You know, I think it's a team that kind of can beat you in multiple ways. And I think that's going to be something you really want to keep an eye out for, you know, in terms of what they do, what they try to attack with. You know, Raleigh Lauman's a player that I honestly, she's one of the weird, uh, you know, situations. She was drafted by Gotham and then she didn't make the Gotham roster. So there's some speculation that she's, you know, coming back to Michigan. That wasn't the case. So I don't really know what's going on there. I She's not on their opening day roster right now. So I think, you know, Cougar fans can breathe a sigh of relief that she's not going to be a player. Starting speed round in three, two, one. What is your pitch to get me to transfer to Notre Dame? Now, finance is not, not, a, not in a play in any of these scenarios. So same exact cost as WSU. What is your pitch for me to transfer to Notre Dame? Among other things, religion. I don't know what your religion is, but if you happen to be of a certain religious subsect, that is 1A. I'm going to assume, based off statistics, you're probably not of that religious subsect. But if you happen to be, there's pitch 1A. Pitch 1B is, uh, I know people like to kind of drag on the campus for being kind of very gothic, very like, you know, you know, it kind of reminds you of like some like church city in France. And uh, it is. It's not wrong. It's very like, you know, kind of stately, very lots of like, it's very, it's a unique, I'll say that much. I don't think there's a campus on this, in this country, um, at least of power five schools that I know of that is like Notre Dame in that sense. You know, it's very much kind of a, like a minimalistic in terms of size, but also Max, when they go for it with the golden dome, with the touchdown of Jesus, they go for it. And I think that's something that, you know, I, I love it. I, I'm a guy who likes to walk. I love to walk around campus and, you know, it's always cool just like, you know, kind of at, at night to see the gold, golden dome glimmering and glimmering in the moon. It's always cool to kind of go by touchdown Jesus and see him in the reflecting pool. It's sort of those things that, you know, for me, as someone who kind of likes to just walk around at night when I get bored, you never get bored walking around Notre Dame's campus because it's, you know, a mile long, so you can do it easily. Um, but it's just so pretty, especially in the fall when it's football season and you kind of got that that buzz. You know, I don't, I don't like to, you know, say Notre Dame's a football school because I like to kind of give, you know, kind of respect to our other sports. But I think everyone knows football season is when Notre Dame's kind of its most special. That's when the, you know, buzz is around campus. That's when the atmosphere is there. And in the fall, you know, on game day, I don't think there's a better feeling in the world, at least for me, than kind of seeing that golden dome glimmering in the fall light. 
That's an interesting one. Um, I'd say I t- so this is gonna say this is so stereotypical. I took an Irish history class last semester, and it's not about I, I'm Irish, so obviously you know Irish history schooled me. But the professor was just this like Scottish guy, and he was hilarious. And honestly, that is the bigger pitch for me. Like the class is cool, you know, I like learning about history, but just listening to this Scottish guy riff for an hour every like Tuesday and Thursday was unironic like the highlight of those days. And that's my that is for my reason my favorite class, just because you know class is cool but just hearing this guy kind of riff for an hour was favorite athletic event that you've seen about notre dame olivia miles behind the back pass in the women's basketball season comes to mind because that was just kind of like one of those moments where you're just kind of like you're out you're in the press box you kind of put your like it was me there was uh one of the broad the guy doing the radio bro i was doing the you know kind of like the print journalism bit where i'm just kind of there there was the radio guy next to me and there was the camera woman next to me all three of us students and like she just does this she was at midcourt she just behind the back it goes like 20 feet and sits on lays in just all three of us just like hands on heads just what did we just watch it's one of those moments where you just kind of like holy wow she's gonna be good big time because she's obviously a freshman so you know that was kind of i think the the first moment where i realized she was gonna be special um so that kind of comes to mind just because it was just hilarious to see like all three of us just like speechless like because the broadcast guys usually talking you know we're I, I i'm part of it so i'm not gonna i'm not trying to riff on them when i say we, we're pretty well-winded we, we don't run out of words that often and he was just silent for a solid like minute just like processing what he had just witnessed so that was cool just but it's not like a, i wouldn't say it's an iconic moment will notre dame this is for all sports stay independent i believe they will that's the that's the 250 million dollar question or whatever the number jack swarbrick has at it these days i I've been given, I've been asked this question like, you know, probably 10 times between my friends, between, you know, my dad and his friends over the last month. And I wish I could give you a definitive answer. Like it's, I think to me, it comes down to two things, the pride element, which I think not enough people realize is probably the number one reason by far why Notre Dame does this. You know, they were smited by Michigan back in the 1920s and they still haven't forgiven Michigan for it, which is why I think even if the big 10 does offer, you know, whatever the magic number is, I think they're going to think twice about it because, you know, Notre Dame, if nothing else, is a school run by people who are overly pride, prideful about being Notre Dame and being special. For better or for worse, that is definitely a defining element of the administration and the student body. And I think that's something that even if the Big Ten shows up at the door and says, name your price, we want you in. They're like, eh, well, in 1920, you didn't let us in, so I'm not sure how we feel about that. I'm not making any comments on whether that would be the right decision or not, but it's definitely a pro, uh, you know, part of the process that I don't think people are kind of realizing enough that it's not just you put 10 bags of cash on Jack Swarbrick's store and he's like, okay, that's the move. No, it's going to be a little bit of, you know, that classic Notre Dame stubbornness, that classic Notre Dame inflated ego. That's going to be a part of this. And the second element is, of course, money, you know, like that, you know, I can pretend it's, I can say it's pride all I want and it is partially pride, but it's also the financial element. You know, there is a price point at some point where the break, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back where it's like, okay, well, we like our pride a lot, but we also like our millions of dollars more, and we can build a new theology building if we join this deal, and I'm sure that will be a, a factor, which I'm not sure which one wins out, because I think those are the two kind of competing factors at the moment. I think you have the money, where it's like, okay, if we join the Big Ten, we will make more money, um, but is it enough money? Is it enough money to kind of stretch that feeling of, we've been independent for 100 years, we built our brand off of being independent, we became Notre Dame off of being independent, you know, I guess, you know, it's a valid point to say if Notre Dame joined the Big Ten in the 20s, are they the Notre Dame they are today? Do they have that, you know, kind of uniquely national footprint or are they just Boston College that happens to be located in the upper Midwest? It's a fair question. I'm not a historian, so I I can't give you the answer on that. But I think it's fair to ask, you know, does Notre Dame become Notre Dame today if they, you know, don't never were independent in the first place? And if they lose that independent now, do they lose that kind of, you know, unique allure that they overtly the best thing ever in recruiting? I think it's it's a weird pitch to give because you can't like, you can't say we're going to play 10 teams in Texas like you would if you were a Texas team in the Big 12. But it also gives you kind of like, you know, that that 
not, uh, not many other programs can say, we might be able to play in California. We might be able to play in Massachusetts. We might be able to play in Yankee Stadium. We might be able to play in South Bend, Indiana. It's a unique pitch. And I think, you know, I think that a lot of consideration is given to if you lose that, do you lose one of the few, you know, one of the things that kind of makes Notre Dame stand out among, you know, because if you're Notre Dame, you have to deal with academic restrictions. If you have to deal with, you know, a, a smaller recruiting school, because let's be honest, it's not that many, you know, blue trip recruits that want to spend, you know, three years in South Bend, Indiana, at a school with 10,000 undergrads and parietals in the dorms. You know, I don't think that it's, it's an easy pitch. I think if you lose that independence element, do you make that pitch even harder than it needs to be? That's a question that, you know, Swarbrick and Freeman will have to answer. And I trust them more to answer that question than me, but I think it's going to be an interesting question to answer regardless. I'm hoping they stay independent. Fantastic. That was wonderful. Those are all my questions. Thank you so much for making time. I know it's quite late on your end, so I appreciate you staying up for this. Not too bad. I, I'm going to have to, I'm probably in over my head uh, writing this thing anyway, so I'll be up till 2 a.m. regardless. But I'm excited to read it, so thank you for coming on. Have a good Thanks one. Thanks for having me. Uh, enjoy the moving. I know you're moving in the same time as me. Uh, so yeah. enjoy that process. Have Thank fun. You. Enjoy the, enjoy Pullman. Yeah. Enjoy South Bend. Have a good one.